Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. And this is London. If you're listening in the Washington, D.C. area, you're listening on Crystal Clear FM 105.5. Why don't you tune in if you're in D.C.? And we're on AM right across the United States from Burning City to Burning City. Although it's funny, none of these cities seem now any longer to be burning. You can listen across the entire globe thanks to SputnikNews.com. But if you are one of the more than half a million people that every week watch as well as listen, then please listen up. If you are watching on Facebook, whether my Facebook or RT's multiple Facebook portals, please share right now with all of your friends so that Mr. Algorithm can no longer suppress us. Tell all your friends now that I'm broadcasting live on RT, on the mother of all talk shows. I'd thank you if you were to do so. And if you're watching on YouTube, either again my own YouTube page or RT's multiple YouTube pages, please subscribe while you're there. You can watch on Twitter, on your telephone. You can watch on Instagram. My good wife is here. That's why we're on Instagram. You can watch on Twitch. You can watch on a multitude of different platforms. But however you watch or listen, the one thing you'll get here is the truth. At least the truth as I see it. I might be wrong, but you can be sure that I believe uh, that I am right, that nobody paid me to have the views I have, that no one can buy me or rent me, that no one can frighten me out of the views that I have. Let me say right up at the top, I'm dedicating this show to the late and great Brian Travers, one of the dearest of my friends that I ever had or ever will have. Brian Travers, the saxophone player, songwriter, musician, painter, and human being of the very highest order. That's Brian there. It's one of my proudest possessions, that uh, picture, because the relationship that I had with Brian Travers was such that I broke down and cried when I learned that he had passed away after a brave fight with cancer. And I mean brave. You'd have had to know how he fought that cancer to know what bravery is. Brian Travers was part of UB40 from the beginning. 
a founder, member of the band, the writer of some of their best tunes, the saxophonist on all of their best tunes, and a man who knew the music business inside out, who could have sat on his laurels as a great sax player. But he was always reaching, stretching into different areas. He developed himself as a quite outstanding painter, and I'm very glad to say that I am in possession of some of his work that I can uh, enjoy and treasure for always. The band split up, but they have come together in their mutual grief and respect at the passing of Brian Travers. He was also a founder member of the party that I lead, the Workers' Party of Britain, joined on day one. He was a socialist. He was a working class man. He was a working class hero. And as John Lennon told us, a working class hero is something to be. May God rest your sweet soul, Brian Travers. Like me also, Brian is of Irish extraction and therefore was very familiar uh, with the British state's crimes in Ireland, one of which we'll be talking about in the show this evening. In the 1980s, I was closely associated with the magazine Private Eye. I used to write for them. I used to come and go in their uh, office in Soho in London. I used to attend the famous Private Eye lunches in the Coach and Horses in Soho. And one man's name was very often on the lips of the people who made Private Eye great during that period. And that name was Colin Wallace. Colin Wallace was a British state intelligence asset who was used here in Britain and in Ireland for some of the most nefarious dirty tricks in a long, dirty war conducted by our own intelligence services against not only the people of Ireland, but also against the Labour Party and its leaders, Harold Wilson and Ted Short, in government in the 1970s here in Britain. Just like Dr. David Kelly, about whom more later, Colin Wallace started to go rogue. He started to question the role of Britain in Ireland and the role that he, in particular, was being asked to play against democracy in Britain, which he'd always thought was what he was fighting for in Ireland on behalf of British state security. And lo and behold, he got set up and charged with murder. I suppose he was lucky in the way that Dr. David Kelly was not. A fascinating new film about Colin Wallace and his life and times has been produced and we are lucky enough to be interviewing the man who made the film later in this show. But I expect the show this week will, as last week, be dominated by the extraordinary events in Afghanistan. An horrific, obscene 
terrorist atrocity was carried out at Kabul airport, as with unerring accuracy, uh, the American government promised us it would be. They even identified the name of the organization, hitherto unknown to most people, that would carry it out. They even knew that it was going to be an explosion, and explosion it was. The organization that carried out the attack on Kabul airport was something called ISIS Khorasan. Khorasan has been used before as a reason for a massive increase in the offensive military power used in Syria by the coalition of the killing there. Khorasan is a real place. Khorasan is Afghanistan and Pakistan and part of former Soviet uh, Central Asia. And it is perfectly possible that there is such an organization as ISIS Khorasan. Although how that would be differentiated from ISIS, which of course we've been doing our best to help in Syria over this last decade, would be more difficult in the time available to me to adumbrate. But in any event, amongst the thousands, tens of thousands of Afghan civilians massing at the airport, as the United States government asked them to do, come to the airport, they told everyone who thought they had a right to be flown out uh, by the scuttling occupation forces, and they duly did. And they were standing knee-deep in sewage, waving their papers pathetically, trying to attract the attention of those with the power to let them on board an aeroplane and out of harm's way, they thought. Uh, but they were not out of harm's way. Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, we called him. That's actually before he actually fell asleep whilst listening to, there he is there, literally asleep while the Prime Minister of Israel is talking to him in the United States. I was glad when he woke up, I thought perhaps he'd passed away, died of boredom listening to Naftali Bennett, the new Prime Minister of Israel. But Joe Biden, on the night of the horrific attack, which killed perhaps 200 people, 200 people, and maimed and injured hundreds and hundreds more, told the American people eight hours after the event, eight hours after the event, that America had faced a series of complex attacks only for the Pentagon spokesman to confess the next day uh, that it was not complex, it could not have been more primitive, uh, that it was not attacks, it was one attack. The two explosions was only one explosion. The attackers were only one one terrorist, fanatic 
suicide bomber with explosives strapped to his chest had somehow managed to kill such a vast number of people. Call me old, but I smelt a rat at the number of people dead from one suicide bomber. And I was right to smell that rat because it turns out that most, most, most of the people killed at Kabul airport were not killed by the ISIS suicide bomber, but were killed by reckless automatic fire from the United States Marine Corps. It reminded me of my grandfather's famous story, so famous he told it every time he had a drink, that when he was at Monte Cassino in World War II in Italy, when the Germans flew over, all the British ducked. And when the British flew over, all the Germans ducked. And when the Americans flew over, everybody, Germans and British, ducked. This kind of reckless display of lethal violence killed most of the 200, most of them, imagine it. They were there with their papers trying to reach America and they were shot down by American armed forces. Tells you much, I think, about the reckless disregard or perhaps the contempt which the occupation had come to feel for the people of Afghanistan. Somehow summed up, although I know it's complicated, uh, by the extraordinary decision to put a lot of pet animals on an airplane with no people on board when thousands of people were still waiting uh, to be airlifted to safety away from the Taliban. A lot of Taliban fighters were killed in the airport incident also, though whether they were blown up or shot by the Marines remains a mystery. But Joe Biden's eight-hour delay, his utterly misleading, if not deliberately false report, haltingly delivered, seemingly by a man with one foot at least, in the grave, one foot at least in the grave, was nothing as to what he did next. He's just droned an entire family in Kabul. A man, a wife, children, grandchildren have all just been slaughtered today by a drone attack launched by Joe Biden. He says it was an attack on ISIS Khorasan masterminds, balderdash. It was the mass murder of yet another Afghan family, untold thousands of whom have already been wiped out by such insane, indiscriminate use 
of lethal firepower. The muscles, but not the brains. That's the United States Armed Forces. And that's why they, and therefore we here in Britain and other allies of the United States are in the place we now are. Utterly humiliated by an American president that knew for 18 months that his predecessor had signed a deal to leave, but did nothing to prepare the thousands, tens of thousands of British and American people to get them out of the country before the Taliban took power. It beggars belief. It is beyond belief that you would scuttle out of a country in the middle of the night, leaving billions of dollars of high-powered weaponry, even Black Hawk helicopters. You didn't even blow them up. They left them there. And they are now in the hands of the Taliban, if we're lucky, of ISIS, if we're unlucky. Just ponder that. In the middle of the night, without even telling the Afghan army serving on the same base that you were leaving and you wouldn't be coming back. Whilst knowing that tens of thousands of your own nationals were now unprotected from a Taliban onslaught and ultimate victory. There's still 1,500 British citizens in Afghanistan who have not been able to be airlifted, although those pets were. And the reason for that is because Joe Biden left us all up the creek without a paddle. I don't know how the citizens of the United States can bear to be led by such an imbecile who can't even stay awake whilst talking to another prime minister in full view of the television and still cameras. I've gone on too long. There's so much I want to say. I said much of it last week. And I've tried again this week. If you're not careful. If we're not all careful and lucky, I'll have to be talking about it for many, many weeks to come. But you've come to the right place to have a proper up and down, bare knuckle, barney, about this. If you disagree with me, we want to hear from you on the telephone, on the Twitter, on the email. Thank you very much for listening to that monologue. Downloads of the podcast, huge numbers are downloading this week's highlights in the UK and in the US, but also in countries like Japan, India, Denmark, Saudi Arabia, you probably get executed for that, Korea, Switzerland, the UAE, and Hong Kong in China. Thank you for all the great reviews you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts and including this one.
In British politics, Mr. Galloway stands as the last bastion of sense. Like a fine wine, he gets better with age. I have been a fan of his since 2002. I would recommend anyone to listen to him. The best podcast around. Thank you very much indeed. That was a touching testimony. Thank you so much. If you do listen, give a five-star review. Why don't you? You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Do you think the US and UK governments should recognize the Taliban? A, yes. B, no. C, depends. You can vote on the usual platforms. My own view is that we don't really have any alternative but to recognize the Taliban. They are the power in that territory. Any sensible foreign policy accepts that we have to deal with those that are in power. And moreover, recognition and indeed trade and aid are probably the only ways left to us to influence the course of events in Afghanistan. The alternative, which uh, some on the right appear to favor, is to inflame another civil war in Afghanistan to embolden uh, the uh, Panjir Valley-based former Northern Alliance uh, that uh, in the past has uh, fought the Taliban bravely and to some extent successfully, uh, fought the Soviet Union uh, bravely and obviously successfully, uh, independent of the Taliban, you can, if you like, pour weapons and money and petrol uh, on what would then be a very big fire indeed. Uh, but beware that those were precisely uh, the conditions in which Al-Qaeda flourished in the chaos of the Afghanistan that existed uh, at the turning point of this 21st century. So, careful what you wish for. I've been telling you that for uh, 40 years in relation to Afghanistan. Be careful what you wish for. I dare say there may even be some zealots who if a fight were to develop between the Taliban and ISIS, Al-Qaeda, uh, would, as they have done in other places, be ready to boost ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Uh, that would be extremely foolish indeed. That's my view. Let's hear the view of uh, Chris Hedges, journalist, writer and activist, it says here. That's rather like saying Cristiano Ronaldo is a footballer. He's a very special footballer and Chris Hedges a very special journalist, writer, and activist. And he joins us now. Chris, uh, thank you for uh, coming on board. Let's start with that first question, uh, that I, or the question on our poll uh, that I've just launched there. Uh, do you think the US and UK governments should recognize the Taliban? Yes, no, or depends? No, without question. Uh, but of course, uh, the United States has already 
shuttered diplomatic relations, but worse than that, uh, it has uh, frozen the reserves of the central bank, $9.5 billion. Uh, it, uh, the IMF will no longer uh, give, uh, uh, give access to its lenders' resources. Uh, and, and we have to remember that grants from the United States and other countries accounted for 75% of the Afghan budget. Uh, so as all of this assistance instantly evaporates, it will compound a very dire humanitarian crisis. The UN is already raising the alarm. 14 million Afghans, that's one in three who lack sufficient food. Two million Afghan children who are malnourished. Uh, close to four million people in Afghanistan have been displaced uh, from their homes. Uh, a drought destroyed 40% of the nation's crops last year. Uh, already seen uh, shortages of food and, and skyrocketing food prices. Uh, that severance, I mean, we were paying the salaries of the army and most of the civil servants. Uh, the health service will clearly collapse. Uh, and that's what they want. The empire, the, the, like a wounded beast, uh, wants to orchestrate a humanitarian crisis of biblical proportions. And I think you can go back and look at what the United States through the UN did in Iraq. Uh, UNICEF estimates that 500,000 children died as a direct result of sanctions imposed on Iraq. And I, I fear that uh, child deaths in Afghanistan, uh, given uh, the response of the United States, will soar above that horrifying figure. So it's not just that we should recognize uh, the Taliban. I think you could actually make a pretty strong case that we should pay reparations. Um, but uh, we're, we're just putting a noose around the necks of the most vulnerable and poorest Afghans, not something particularly new, looking at what we did during the nine years when we spent anywhere from nine to $20 billion visiting hell on earth to Afghanistan to drive out the Soviets. There are many reasons why that U.S. response is foolish not to even go uh, onto the terrain of morality, uh, but foolish from the standpoint of American statecraft, because as sure as eggs is eggs, uh, that will force uh, the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan to move increasingly, perhaps wholly, into the economic, uh, political, and diplomatic orbit of the neighboring countries. Yes, and it will also fuel, I mean, they have nothing to lose in that sense. I mean, you look at the U.S. policy towards Iran, uh, the, the uh, recalcitrance on the part of U.S. policymakers to work with Iran uh, wiped out uh, the reformist sector, there was one within the Iranian government, and bolstered the hardliners. The Taliban, I don't know the Taliban well, but it's a very fractious a group. Uh, there are four major ethnicities, but a total of roughly 20 ethnicities in the country. Uh, you know, this kind of policy will give credence to uh, the hardliners. Yes, of course, it's very foolish, but I think you can go all the way back to 1979 when we decided to visit another Vietnam on uh, the Soviet Union. The Soviet uh, had intervened in Afghanistan to prop up a, a, a very uh, weak uh, uh, Marxist uh, government, but that was uh, part of the plan. When you go back and look at 
Brzezinski, this was Zbigniew uh, uh, Brzezinski was uh, Carter's uh, national security advisor. This was part of the plan to lure uh, the Soviet Union in. Uh, they funded the most radical uh, Mujahideen groups, essentially obliterating the secular democratic Afghan opposition. I mean, we hear all this talk about human rights for women. Well, human rights for women under uh, the old Afghan government in Kabul uh, were uh, quite good. Uh, so, uh, and the fact, the, the, the horror that we have visited, one million Afghans were killed in that conflict with the Soviets, 90,000 Mujahideen fighters, 18,000 Afghan troops, and about 15,000 Soviet soldiers. But all of these deaths uh, were in the calculus of uh, the American empire uh, worth it. And, and again, I would go back to Iraq uh, and look at the kinds of statements that were made uh, particularly by, uh, at the time, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Madeleine Albright, when asked on a show here, 60 Minutes, whether the deaths of half a million Iraqi children uh, caused by the sanctions uh, was worth it, she answered yes. Uh, so uh, there is a kind of self-destructive quality. You know, the power to destroy, given the size uh, and reach of the U.S. military, is an intoxicating drug that becomes its own justification. Uh, and I think we also have to acknowledge that the chaos uh, that is sowed, uh, the, the United States uh, CIA is not, uh, at, at virtually not at an intelligence gathering community. It runs rogue paramilitary organizations around the globe, interrogating people uh, at black sites uh, and often torturing them, carries out targeted assassinations, and also orchestrated commando raids in Afghanistan that killed a large number of uh, civilians and, and sent enraged uh, villagers and family members into the arms of Afghan civilians. That's, uh, th there's a self-perpetuating quality to empire, which is ultimately self-destructive. And as we speak, we see uh, Sulla, who was Ashraf Ghani's vice president, holed up in the Panjshir Valley. Uh, he's declared himself the legitimate caretaker president. You have uh, Afghan Massoud, Mohammed Atanur, uh, Abdul Rashid Dosum. They're all uh, clamoring to be armed and supported. Uh, indeed, Massoud wrote an op-ed piece in the Washington Post a couple of days ago that uh, talked about how his fighters needed U.S. weapons and ammunition and supplies. Uh, so it's just this perpetual uh, war uh, that the United States has visited now for on almost four decades on Afghanistan. And I don't see it ending given the way the empire works and the fact that the entities, the intelligence agencies that carry out this, these kind of dark wars are beyond public scrutiny and beyond public view. Now, Masood, uh, he's the son of the former uh, leader of the former Northern Alliance. He's educated at Oxford and Sandhurst, uh, which tells you uh, quite a lot, I think. Uh, he's crying out for uh, arms and uh, diplomatic and uh, the kind of uh, media and so on support that the Mujahideen once had. Is he likely to get it? Does the United States have the stomach for, as it were, fostering, becoming the foster parent of another civil war in Afghanistan? Yes.
Um, and, and, and that is the pattern that the United States operates under. I mean, go back and look at what happened after the 1979 overthrow of the Shah. Uh, they funded some you know, pretty nefarious uh, uh, resistance groups uh, who are labeled internationally as terrorist groups. Uh, that is how they operate. Their goal now is to uh, make Af make the Taliban pay, make, and of course the people who really pay are, are the most vulnerable in Afghan society, and destabilize the country as much as possible to cripple it. Um, that, that, I would be shocked if uh, the CIA was not uh, at this moment uh, uh, working out uh, uh, arms transfers and support with Massoud and Salah and Noor and Dostum and everyone else. Now, all of this, um, I know that American media and so on refuses to use the word defeat, but anyone with two brain cells to rub together knows uh, that the Taliban won the war, the United States and its allies lost it. Uh, and it's uh, a bitter defeat uh, to swallow, uh, no doubt. Uh, but how damaging has it been to President Biden? Followed now hard on the heels with the footage of him uh, falling asleep, literally. Uh, many thought, I thought, he'd perhaps passed away, he'd been bored to death by Bennett. But uh, I see that that's now becoming a bigger story. Uh, how, is this the end of Joe Biden, is what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, of course, this was a bipartisan catastrophe. Uh, remember, Barack Obama used to run around calling Afghanistan the good war. He uh, oversaw a surge into Afghanistan of, I think, 30,000 troops. Uh, so it's, a, it's been a bipartisan effort. There's no uh, Chuck Schumer supported uh, Trump's uh, massive proposal, over $700 billion to, uh, in the Pentagon budget, an increase by 10%. So there's no daylight on the parties. But of course, uh, you're right. The Republican Party has attempted to use this very humiliating and swift defeat uh, as a way to hurt Biden. I think it's too early to tell uh, whether that will be an effective political weapon. And we have the congressional midterms uh, coming up. Uh, uh, Biden has another, uh, what, three and a half years or something to, so I, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is the end of J Joe Biden, uh, but I would say that this is another signpost uh, to the end of the American empire. And do you think that anyone else other than you in the United States sees that already or, or are they seeing it but hiding it? Well, all the people who see it, um, the, the critics of empire, uh, Andrew Bacevich, uh, Noam Chomsky, uh, Danny Shorson, who graduated from West Point, served as a combat uh, officer in Afghanistan uh, and Iraq, uh, uh, Alfred McCoy. I mean, there are plenty of critics of empire, but they you'll never watch them on MSNBC <laughs> or any other major network where you just get Petraeus and uh, who was in charge of the military operations at some at one point in both Iraq and Afghanistan that went on and later led the CIA. Leon Panetta also led the CIA. I mean, these are the only voices that you hear. The critics of empire have been completely washed out of the media. Uh, and so the very architects of the disaster 
are now justifying Petraeus had this kind of, there was this fawning piece about Petraeus in the New Yorker magazine a couple years ago, and, and he's essentially blaming Biden for his own ineptitude. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a, I find it a, a remarkable event that the media just won't, I mean, John Bolton, of all people, his voice is now is saturated over the media landscape. These are the people that made the mess. Uh, and they're never held to, not only not held to account, but they're lionized by the very media entities that if they were doing their journalistic duty would be scrutinizing uh, the disaster that they organized and, and for many years led. And what of the liberals that were so dewy-eyed at uh, Joe Biden because he wasn't Donald Trump? Uh, the paroxysms of joy uh, on CNN, MSNBC, and in the Washington Post, and the Times, and so on. How do they feel today? Well, they've been largely defensive of Biden. Um, I, the critique is, uh, revolves around uh, the way the United States withdrew. Could we have left uh, 13 or uh, 3,500, I think was the number of combat support troops behind? Um, uh, Biden is really handled quite gently uh, by the quote unquote liberal media. Uh, but let's remember that Biden, again, was one of the architects of these wars. In fact, especially with the invasion of Iraq, Biden as a senator played a very major role in organizing support and calling out for the war. Uh, so the Republicans who are culpable as well, of course, the Republican Party started the war in Afghanistan under George W. Bush, um, they are using this like a bludgeon. Um, uh, but that's to be expected in, in uh, among uh, a clashing kind of political class. Uh, and their voices are uh, being amplified throughout the media. But I would say the liberal media, like the New York Times, the Washington Post, those uh, CNN, they've been, they have been uh, since before the election extremely protective of Biden because he represents the return to uh, the, the, I would call the kind of gravitas of uh, the empire that uh, Donald Trump uh, so consistently exploded through his ineptitude and vulgarisms. Uh, and it's not that they were particularly against what Trump did. Trump served the empire as, and Wall Street as assiduously as anyone else. It was more the presentation to the rest of the world. And that's why uh, they got, uh, you know, Biden, who uh, is, uh, you know, kind of, as you pointed out, in and out. We don't, we don't really know how much he's there or how much he isn't there, but he's a good figurehead for the empire. But these empire loyalists, finally, these empire loyalists, they must know in their heart that they've just received one hell of a beating from ragged-assed men on bicycles with clashing coughs. Uh, it must be very difficult for them to deny that, at least to themselves. I don't know. You know, I mean, if you turned on American television channels, you, the, the principal theme is that we did not lose to the Taliban. We beat ourselves. I mean, you have former National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster calling it self-defeat. Uh, you know, Eugene Robinson, who's a columnist for The Washington Post, uh, is calling a war we did not win. 
so there's, I mean, I watched this at the end of the Vietnam War. I was a yeah. kid, but it was the same rhetoric. You never heard the word defeat, uh, and you're not hearing that now. There'll be a whole uh, generation of Hollywood movies uh, right. already. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be receiving the scripts right now, and it'll be how dreadful it was that the Afghans made the Americans do all this to themselves. Uh, Chris Hedges, thank you very much indeed for another masterful tour of the political horizon. You know, and it's a very, thank you for, you know, I, I'm a big fan of your show, Gigi. Great, great debate, great. And I'm Scottish. I'm very passionate about what's happening there, you know. I had a great mom. She was Scottish, Mary McLeod. She taught me well. She taught me well at everything, including golf. I love Scotland and I love the Scottish food. It's great food. I said to Melania, you know, haggis. Look at that. What's more than more Scottish than that? Me. I am that haggis. She said, what, thin skinned and full of crap? Lee Collins says it was a private charter flight. The animals were in the hold. Not true. Spare seats were offered to anyone needing them. Oh, well, up to a point, Lord Copper, because, as Lee adds, it was only the U.S. changing the rules at the last minute that meant the staff and many other Afghans couldn't board. You feel me? Don't say that it was a charter flight that could have taken lots of Afghans out. The Afghans weren't allowed on board. And the dogs and cats were not in the hold that were in the cabin. Now, if you're a true believer in market forces, uh, you may well be right when you say a private charter flight can do anything it likes. It's uh, the business only of those that paid for the charter flight. Strictly speaking, according to the laws of Adam Smith, that is correct. But it is very difficult for many of us, including me, even though I wouldn't have gone down this road of this poll question, it's very difficult to accept that one of the very last flights out of Kabul didn't have any people on it, but had lots of dogs and cats. Paid for to the tune of a million pounds a year, I understand, by animal lovers and well-wishers. Neither is Ron Mackay the only person angry about this. The Ministry of Defense in Britain is furious about it. Uh, the chief pied piper of the dogs and cats is on tape in the newspapers this morning, threatening the MOD threatening the army and the top brass of the military, that he would destroy them if they did not facilitate this flight. I know a lot of you love your dogs and cats, and I'm the last man to come between you and your dog and cat. But some of us find it a little difficult to swallow. Woof! Now, as I said, Earlier, uh, the Colin Wallace story uh, was uh, one that I 
was very familiar with in the 1970s and in the 1980s as the former Colin Wallace and his confreres played out a deeply destabilizing role against the Labour government of Harold Wilson, whom I knew well and about whom I spoke of these matters in very great detail, and also in the role of the British state in committing very serious crimes, including murder, against Irish people in the six counties of the northeast of Ireland. Michael Oswald is an independent documentary filmmaker of note, has produced a film about Colin Wallace, the man who knew too much. Take a look at this. Good evening. Colin Wallace. Colin Wallace. Colin Wallace had fractured Mr. Lewis's skull with a karate-style blow after he was accused of having an affair with Mr. Lewis's wife. He hid his friend's body in the boot of his car and later dumped it in the River Arran. He says he was the victim of an MI5 dirty tricks campaign. Colin Wallace repeated his claim he was framed by MI5. In Northern Ireland in the 1970s, Wallace claimed he was an intelligence officer. Wallace alleges he became involved in a black propaganda campaign by the security services. He accused MI5 of running a dirty tricks campaign against politicians. Are you apprehensive about how you will be portrayed in the film? And you want an answer to that? <laughs> Colin Wallace has been dismissed by the authorities as a Walter Mitty character, a man whose allegations were fabrications. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, the man who knows not too much, but definitely enough about Colin Wallace and the circumstances in which he found himself is, of course, the great filmmaker, Michael Oswald, who joins me now. Michael, uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Kindly describe, more succinctly than I was able to do, who was Colin Wallace? What did he do and what did they do to him? 
Uh, hi, George, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me on the show. It's uh, really a great pleasure. Welcome. Yeah, so Colin Wallace was a British military intelligence officer who was right at the heart of psychological operations and the spreading of fake news in Northern Ireland in the 1970s. And he ended up questioning the legality of one of the campaigns that he was involved in, uh, specifically the one that you mentioned about the targeting of uh, British mainland politicians. And as a result of that, uh, the or, or sections of the intelligence apparatus, the UK intelligence apparatus, turned against him and uh, he ended up uh, being made redundant and he became a whistleblower. And after that, he ended up being accused of a murder and uh, he was convicted for manslaughter and he got 10 years in prison. And when he came out of prison, the authorities were claiming that he had never worked in intelligence, that he was a Walter Mitty character. And so he had to start right from the bottom to try and clear his name. Uh, so that is kind of the background of the film. It's an absolutely incredible human story. And uh, I think also Colin Wallace is really an incredible human being with uh, an, an incredible amount of perseverance. Perseverance, for sure. That doesn't mean he's not a Walter Mitty, though. How persuaded were you by the end uh, that he was on the level? Um, well, I, I was actually very much persuaded that he was on the level. Of course, in the beginning, when I first contacted him, I had only read this book by uh, Paul Foote, uh, which was uh, called uh, Who Framed Colin Wallace. So I didn't realize that he had actually been cleared uh, of, of the manslaughter. But he has been cleared. And, of course, I think that there are questions you can ask about you know, was he running his own kind of campaign to try and clear his name? And I'm sure he would have used his experience, uh, you know, that he accumulated when he was working in Synops to try and clear his name. But in general, I, I was uh, very much convinced of, of his innocence and that he is a genuine person. I mean, are you, what is your opinion? Uh, no, I, I, as I say, I was uh, at Private Eye for a long time. Paul Foote, I knew well. I was entirely persuaded by uh, Paul Foote's uh, book on him, but I never met Wallace, uh, and you have. So I was interested really in your take on that. Let's go back uh, to the 1970s uh, and about the things that I know uh, through my connection, which was uh, relatively deep. I used to regularly call on the late Mr. Wilson, uh, in his rather gloomy flat behind the cathedral in Westminster. And uh, we talk about these times when it's now quite clear, there's no paranoia here, uh, that the British security services or sections of them were trying to overthrow uh, the elected Labour government led by Harold Wilson. And many of the things that happened in the 1970s like the Swiss francs that mysteriously ended up in a bank account that he'd never opened, uh, of Ted Short, the deputy prime minister, deputy leader of the Labour Party at the time, like some of the other scandals that uh, 
tried to suck and, and draw uh, Harold Wilson down. Uh, I'm in no doubt whatsoever that these dirty tricks operations happened and Colin Wallace was involved in them, wasn't he? Yes, he was involved in them. Uh, I think in terms of the targeting of UK politicians, I go that, into that a little bit in the film, but not too much. Because my understanding is, is that Colin Wallace was merely using some of this information in his briefs. So uh, the army had a problem with uh, politicians in Westminster uh, for a number of reasons. One of them was, uh, I think, the shoot to kill policy um, and things like that. So, so they weren't happy about... And, and the Wilson government was, I think, also talking to the IRA. So there's a couple of things that I think the army and the intelligence services thought, oh, they're acting a kind of, kind of against uh, what our policies is and how we think this situation should be resolved. Now, I don't go into that too much in the film because uh, it's something that, you know, you can't really measure it. It's something that happens, but we can't measure what impact it really had. I think what is really interesting about the film is that it kind of shows you how you create a fake news campaign and how you spread that into the kind of media and into reality that essentially you can take or invent stories um, from scratch that have, you know, there's no piece of actual factual information there and it can be accepted as uh, fact after you know, it, it's published in the newspapers. And information policy, uh, the department in the Ministry of Defence that uh, Colin Wallace worked for were very good at that. And so I think the value of, of this film is it kind of shows us uh, at a time when the world was simpler, you know, when fake news was spread mainly through newspapers, how it worked. And of course, today, uh, the world is much more complex. We have the internet, we have uh, social networks. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's difficult to see, like, where is all this information coming, coming from and how is it moving? And here we have an example of a person who was right at the center of creating these fake news campaigns uh, in a kind of, uh, and is basically telling us, you know, how he did it. Does the film go into the use of sexual blackmail uh, in Northern Ireland uh, to suborn, to uh, influence, to potentially destroy, to blackmail uh, Northern Irish political figures? Uh, yes, it's also mentioned. I mean, the film mentions the, the kind of, you know, Clockwork Orange, the, the Wilson plot, uh, and it also goes into Kinkora. You know, it, it goes into these kind of very dark areas, but I don't know if it really, uh, if you could say, oh, it sheds new light on those areas. Uh, I think the value of the film is really much more about, you know, how uh, fake news in general is created and is spread. I've got a call from Hong Kong, uh, if you'll stay yeah. on the line, because it's uh, from someone who met Wallace. Chris in Hong Kong. Chris, welcome. How are you, George? Always welcome to get on the jo uh, on the show. Um, delighted that uh, you have somebody uh, talking about uh, Colin Wallace. Um, uh, he actually gave or visited the University of Leicester 
uh, in approximately the what I would deem the summer term of uh, 1990. Uh, there were about 15 uh, students in attendance, and uh, we had about three hours of his time. He, he actually took us through how he was set up, etc. Um, to me, the guy was genuine, and uh, he, he did come out with some heavy-sounding stuff for uh, people my age, in any case, in uh, 1990 to you, which consequently, uh, the, the history itself has backed up to say, yeah, he was correct. Well, uh, it all uh, was uh, a grim time, Michael, wasn't it? I mean, the, uh, there was a full-scale war going on. Uh, it was called low-intensity warfare, but it was pretty high low-intensity uh, going on. And the stakes were high. The British uh, security services were pulling out all the stops. How damaged does it left, uh, Wallace? Um, I mean, that is a good question. The thing is about Colin Wallace is he has an incredible amount of composure. So for me, I was just so surprised, uh, you know, how he comes across, how credible he comes across. And he doesn't seem to me damaged, uh, but he, he is very controlled and he, he has an answer for everything. And so... Uh, I don't think this is a this is a question I, I can answer because I think he's just too experienced about how he is able to present himself. Mm. Perhaps he learned that as part of the the tradecraft. What does he do now? I was amazed he's still alive, actually. Yeah, yeah, he's still alive. He still lives in the same house where he um, was accused of having, um, you know, killed Jonathan Lewis. Uh, same town. Uh, he's still working, or he was when I last spoke to him. Um, at, I think he uh, he cat caught COVID, and I think he has had some health problems because of that. But we are kind of very much hoping that he will get better. And uh, yeah, so. does he uh, does he regret uh, the nefarious role that he played in those uh, dark days? Is he, is he evangelical about that? I mean, that is, that is a very good question. And I think when you watch the film, you will realize that, you know, this is a very complex person. He's a very complex character. And there are certain things that I think he can't reconcile. I don't think he can really reconcile some of the things that he did and what the army did with, in a way, what he's saying now and what what he you know represents now um yeah so how do people see uh, see the film michael well the film is currently it's on pay-per-view um but on the big date is the 29th of september where i will be uploading the film for free to youtube so i'm asking everyone to you know, watch it after that and share it as wide as possible because I really think this is a film and a story that needs to be seen as widely as possible. Well, I've rented it. I'm going to watch it uh, tonight. I think it was Vimeo. Uh, it was on. I'm very interested in the subject. Anyone that's interested in intelligence matters in Ireland, the role of Britain in Ireland, and uh, anyone interested in in the politics of labor and the labor movement in the 1970s, 
will, I'm sure, find it uh, fascinating because Colin Wallace was involved deeply in all of that. Best of luck with it, Michael. Thanks for Thank coming so on the show. I appreciate it very much, and good luck uh, with the film. If you're in the United Kingdom, it's 0808196552. If you're in the United States, it's plus one, 844-944-3344. Let me hear from you. I was just listening to your previous callers about the manufacturing of consent. Yeah. People are powerless. They're drowning in a cocktail of confusion and they just don't know what to do and they know no one's speaking up for them. It's bristling out there amongst the white English working class. They feel that Labour hates them and they hate Labour back. I, I think the, the idea of this capitalism thing that we, we have limited respect for which is linked with freedom compared to like a, a strict socialist um, people going on to welfare and, and not being able to work and I, I feel like that almost the, the world this great reset and build back better and all these key words that seem to come out with team um, country leaders all over the world it seems to me to be a little bit worrying now, uh, you shouldn't be any more worried than you were before but you shouldn't be any less worried than you were before either. If you're a lawyer, which unfortunately, what's his name? Keir Starmer is. Um, he's spending all of his time being right about everything. You know, he can't appeal to every community. It's not good enough. It really isn't good enough. You know, there were, there were four other candidates and they were all better than him. Why has the Labour Party failed so miserably? I mean... Well, the Labour Party has fallen out of love uh, with the British people, and the British people have reciprocated. Yeah, but don't, don't you think Labour had some part to play in that, though, with the whole yeah. classism thing? I mean, like, you're supposed to be old Labour, right? You went against new Labour, in the other commas. Uh -huh. Don't you think it's on people like you to promote actual... Well, Labour I do. Policies or no, whatever. why should I? What do I owe the Labour Party, Dan? Labour Party or whatever. I think the Labour Party is a cata catastrophic disaster. It so has. Do about it, then. Why, why are you complaining about it? Why don't you do something about it right? instead of complaining? It's... But Dan obviously doesn't know that I'm actually the leader of a rival political party and stand against the Labour Party in the, in the elections. And George, do you know something else? You're not going to sing again, I, are you? For the last time you spoke to me... You've actually got a great voice. Paul is uh, flying out the traps. Was it right to fly out 168 dogs and cats from Afghanistan rather than people? A, yes... B, no, you can vote on my Twitter feed, on YouTube and on Telegram. And don't forget, by the way, to download our podcast, which is literally breaking all records. Uh, some social media, Lachlan McNeil says, firstly, to my knowledge, it was a private chartered flight and not a government flight. And secondly, all the pets were in the hold 
until the first drop of people en route to the UK, then some animals were moved into the cabin. On a private chartered flight, it's no one's business. Oh, well, up to a point, Lachlan. First of all, uh, there were no people on board. Uh, they were unable to be loaded in time, didn't have the proper papers, uh, and that's why the animals were moved into the cabin. Private chartered flight, I'm not sure that makes all that much difference. James Parker says, why do uh, US, the UK, I mean, have to keep paying the cost for a US foreign policy that looks no further than the next arms deal? And Durfan says, I don't know the answer to your poll, but this action definitely defines the value of Afghan people in the eyes of the Americans. The choice was dogs or Afghans. Smiling face with tear. Uh, much more where that came from. I fear we've alienated the animal lovers. I did tell the editor, Ron Mackay, whose poll question this is, that in the past, whenever I've called for the muzzling of dogs, etc., the switchboard has lit up. Uh, they say never perform with children or animals. Um, never tangle with animals in a Twitter poll would be my, was my advice to the editor who completely ignored me. Now, let's hear from Julian in London on ISIS. Go ahead, Julian. Hello, George. I want to talk to you about the new variant. The new variant of ISIS. Yeah. Very good. ISIS-K. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how we know the name. And I was reminded of when a friend of mine uh, said to me, in a rather philosophical conversation, if the dinosaurs existed before human beings, how do we know what they were called? And I think this name must have been attributed by what, uh, maybe newspapers, because ISIS don't even call themselves ISIS. And you no, can't I, 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 I appreciate Syria, your. Uh, I, I, I appreciate your scepticism. I share some of it, uh, mm. but ISIS Khorasan, uh, if you uh, Google it, uh, it was referred to by U.S. Uh, policymakers in relation to uh, the American presence in Syria and the war against Syria. Khorasan is actually a place. Uh, in fact, the William Dalrymple, uh, with a wonderful, wonderful piece in, uh, on the site Unheard, uh, just uh, yesterday I read it, uh, talks about Khorasan. Khorasan is the area that I described, Afghanistan as we now know it, though it wasn't in the 19th century known as Afghanistan at all, uh, with Pakistan, which of course wasn't either in existence until 1948, uh, and uh, parts of uh, the former Soviet uh, Central Asian stands, as they uh, refer to them now. That's Khorasan. Uh, so just like you've got Al-Qaeda in the Arabic Peninsula, AKIP, uh, just like you've got uh, ISIS in Africa, uh, so you have ISIS Khorasan in the area, but they are very small, they are uh, underpowered, and I'm wondering how they managed to get all the way to the front gate of the airport uh, with one man 
with explosives on his chest, how he managed to get through all those checkpoints that led him to the uh, site of the mass uh, killing. Uh, Julian, thanks uh, very much for that. Bill Karmetsky says, Galloway, I love it when they start that way, Galloway, for 20 years, you never told your audience what Afghanistan was about. Ever. Really? Why don't you call me, Bill? It's 0808196552. Call me now, I dare you, you gutless coward. Phone me now. I dare you. Let's hear from Mike in South Carolina. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, George, how are you doing today? Good, sir. Well, Good to talk to you again. And you. Uh, yeah, let, let me ask you a quick question before I, uh, I start here. Do you actually have any pets, dogs, cats uh, like I don't, that? I don't. Okay. I, I thought maybe you didn't. But, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Uh, uh, you know, ask yourself this question. Who, who do you think those pets belong to? I think there were strays. They I think there were strays, actually. No, they? no, 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 no. They belong to the people that are being evacuated from there, and and they want their pets. And I can understand that. And you know, but, you know, being a so pet owner myself, I do understand. So the people already flown out. This, these were their pets. Oh, well, either that or they're flying the pets out before they actually fly it themselves. But I guarantee you, the pets belong to the people that are leaving Afghanistan. But mm. that's really neither here nor there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that as as you know, something to think about. Okay. But uh, uh, here's the other thing. Uh, so I think it was Simon was talking about all the uh, equipment that was left over there, planes and helicopters and all that. But he has to understand that that America, in its uh, uh, wanting to leave Afghanistan, also spent uh, billions and billions of dollars propping up the uh, Afghan government and the forces to support that government when they left, which you know, which totally turned over as soon as the Americans started to withdraw. They just, you know. Uh, gave up their post and didn't fight at all, which, you know, I mean, I can kind of understand that because, I mean, we were the occupying force over there, and uh, but all that equipment was probably left for them, uh, you know, to use, uh, you know, to, to, to hopefully prop up the uh, puppet government that we installed. Yeah, but I'll tell you, <clears> but, but I'll uh, tell you what, Mike, uh, when the Hollywood movies come to be made, and they're probably already in production now, uh, some seals would have been landed who would have blown all those black hawks up yeah yeah but i mean you know if you were leaving if you were giving you know those forces this equipment uh you wouldn't blow them up i mean you would leave them there no, for sure, them to but use, once but it was clear that the game was up uh, a few special oh, forces the special forces well, could, have, just, uh, could have uh, made this whole discussion otios couldn't they Oh yeah, they could they could do it with just a few drone strikes right now if they really wanted to. They could. I mean, I mean that could be good done. Good point. Good uh, point. You know, they could uh, blow them blow all that equipment up now, as they blew up yeah, that family in right. Kabul today. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> but uh, but I'm saying there's always more of this than meets the eye. But I mean, you have to look at it from the perspective of the of the Afghani's, like the the uh, the uh, uh, Afghani you had on on the show there that was uh, uh, working at the American University in Afghanistan there. You remember him? Uh, he was very good. I thought he was an excellent guest. Oh yeah, yeah. He was. He was very good. But but here's the thing, George. Uh, when when a company or or a country is being uh, unoccupied, as it were, 
I mean, you have people in that country who actually help the occupiers, and they're not going to be looked on, uh, you know, very well by no. the people of the country no. that were trying to remove the occupiers. No. So he has a choice to make. I mean, he can either stay there and try to reform the country, which is all they can do. I mean, they can try to change the country from within, which is what should have happened in the beginning, not not us trying to change it externally. But uh, uh, he has that decision to make, that he can either stay there and try to change the country, or he can leave it and, and let whatever happens happen. Good point. Uh, but, uh, Thanks for that, know, Mike. In South Carolina, uh, let's go to Theo in Maine. Theo, welcome to the show. Mr. Galloway, how you doing? Theo, are you there? Hello. Hello, hello, can you hear me? Have I lost them? Hello, um, there you Mr. Go. Galloway, it is, an yeah. honor. it is an honor to be on your show, Mr. Galloway. Thank you so much, Theo. Yes, I only have one brief point to make. Um, to me, it is not a coincidence, but uh, I couldn't help but notice that in America's Saigon moment, that our vice president is literally in Saigon. I hope you could comment on that. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, and laying uh, flowers at what she thought was the monument uh, to John McCain, uh, but was in fact a monument to honor those that had shot him down. Because John McCain was actually uh, trying to bomb and murder a huge number of women factory workers on that very site and was shot down by the workers own anti-aircraft uh, position. Uh, I don't know how successful her visit was. I don't know if the Vietnamese leadership is foolish enough uh, to be drawn into the US's anti-China front which I'm sure was the real purpose uh, of her visit. Uh, of course, all wars have to end sometime. I'm not arguing for enmity uh, between Vietnam and the United States, uh, although I'm not sure that Vietnam has quite exacted uh, the price from the United States that could even remotely be uh, could even remotely be sufficient, commensurate to the utter mass, mass murder of millions of Vietnamese people. I'm not sure how the ordinary people felt about the vice president of the U.S. being there. Last word to you, Theo. Um, well, I just, I really have no further points besides that. I just wanted to wish everyone well, and I really, uh, Really I'm very glad that you called. Uh, I have never been in Maine, but it's one of my ambitions to sail off the coast of it. Thank you very much indeed for the call. Roger, go ahead. Hello, George. It's lovely to speak to you again. And you, um, sir? Thank you very much. Uh, uh, what I want to say really is I think what has happened in Afghanistan now, just has settled, has been totally and utterly predictable because the people who are now in charge of America they're basically white supreme they're, they're anti-white they're anti-democratic they want to defund the police they want to dismantle America and what better opportunity did they have 
it landed on their laps. I don't think we can blame George Bi- Joe Biden. I mean, he's a shell. He, he, he doesn't know his, his true mind, not really. And he's at the hands of advisors who are advising him on everything to say and everything to do. And he's been, he's been their puppet. And this has done by people within America who hate America. We know that. That's blatant by the, what they've been telling us for years. And, but for some reason, the good people of America somehow have voted them in. Controversial so stuff, Roger. We'll see if there's any Americans uh, got a point of view on that. Can I squeeze in John from Dorset? Let's hear from him. John in Dorset, go ahead. Oh, hello, George. Just Hi. to change the subject slightly, okay. um, I'm, I'm, I'm not really so topical now because it was a couple of weeks when I raised this subject, but I hope it's still uh, relevant. Okay. Uh, it's just something I saw on the dreadful old uh, YouTube. I know that we shouldn't, we shouldn't look at it, but it, it hypnotises me, unfortunately, George. Okay. Now, I saw something uh, that was um, quite alarming in... Uh, speaker's corner and there was a kerfuffle going on and a young lady got stabbed in the face. I saw that, now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's horrifying enough. But did, they catch the, did they catch the fanatic that did that? Now then, that is the point that I was ringing about, to be honest. I don't think they even tried, to be quite honest. Well, I saw the police car chasing him in the park. I was a bit surprised that he seemed to get away because I never saw a report of an arrest. No, nor did I. And that is another thing that is, uh, you know, happens quite a lot these days, is that it goes quiet. When you want to know the resolution, resolution of something you might see, on, nothing happens. Or if it is, it comes up six months later and the bloke gets, uh, you know, a cup of tea and told not to do it again. But uh, I, I, do, I do find that our cops soft-pedal when they want to. And, and, uh, and there are times uh, when I do think they overreact on incidents. Well, uh, I, I must say, as, uh, as someone who has been on, uh, I don't know, 500 demonstrations in London, I was a bit surprised how Extinction Rebellion were able to uh, deface and vandalise uh, the statue right outside the gates of Buckingham Palace. As a matter of fact, exactly. I'm surprised they got anywhere near the gates yeah. of Buckingham Palace. If, if it had been a demonstration of coal miners, I feel yeah. pretty sure that we would not have got that close. John, thanks uh, for that right, interesting you. call. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Ignition. Lift off. We need to uh, acclimatise the public uh, for the introduction of extraterrestrials because, come to the conclusion at this point, if they're going to come, they are going to come soon. Back in the late 60s and early 70s, they actually saw the softer land in front of them or pass by in New York or go overhead. It went in front of my eyes up and turned into a, what looked like a star way up in the sky. They said the same line that you just made, and it was amazing. It is an awful waste of space. 
if if we are all if that there is. If we are all that there is, exactly. Have you ever seen any of these phenomena? I have seen um, energy entities. One looked like a massive jellyfish. The other one looked like a massive centipede. Well, you had me up to that point. Now I just think you're stark raving mad. Uh, don't forget, as I said, I'll be speaking uh, in Leicester on the 11th of September uh, at the Secular Hall, 2.30pm, and showing uh, the Killing Kelly film about the strange death of Dr. David Kelly. You can get your tickets, www.ticketsource.co.uk forward slash Killing Kelly. And uh, students go free as long as their email has ac.uk at the end of it. There it is uh, on the screen now. I'm speaking in London on the 25th of October at 7 p.m. That's a Monday night. And I'm speaking in Manchester in, uh, on the 15th of November. Again, a Monday night at 7 p.m. And you can get the tickets for those events uh, from that address. Let's hear from Jonathan in South Africa. Go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, George, thank you very much. Welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, just on the question of the uh, dogs versus the, uh, the people, um, I don't see why uh, both could have uh, been evacuated if this had been properly planned. So... You know, the civilians and their dogs should have been actually taken mm. out. But it was mm. such a haphazard and ca catastrophic, uh, you know, withdrawal strategically out of uh, Afghanistan that uh, beggars belief. Indeed. Uh, secondly, I wanted to ask you, um, the, uh, the decline of the empire is a consistent theme. So I'm actually seeing that you are talking about the... Uh, decline of the Western Empire and in specifically uh, the American Empire. Yeah. And uh, after 20 years and uh, over $2 trillion in Afghanistan, uh, with nothing to see other than a Taliban government and a catastrophe uh, that's happening at the moment, uh, where does this leave the UK? And uh, we are talking about a Western decline. We're talking about an empire that is in decline, and we've seen it in the Roman Empire, we are now seeing it in the Western Empire, and we are letting in uh, people, immigrants, etc. This is a, uh, must be uh, a win for the Chinese, Iranian, and Russian uh, triumphant. It is an epochal uh, moment, I think. It is an historic turning point. Uh, it is the... Uh, not the beginning of the end, for that beginning had already uh, begun. Uh, it is a, a rapid accelerant uh, of the decline of what you call the Western Empire, I call the American Empire. Uh, what it means for Britain, uh, who over the last uh, many decades now have been going around the world threatening people with America's army, uh, much in the way that Mussolini used to do with Hitler's army. Uh, it's uh, a big, big opportunity for us now to design 
a dignified way uh, and role for ourselves in the world. Uh, a tale is uncomfortably close uh, to you know where. It's not a dignified thing to be a tale. And to be the tale of an American dog uh, that is led by uh, one imbecile after another with the punctuation of uh, the professor Barack Obama, who was, if anything, even worse than the imbeciles, uh, it's uh, particularly undignified. So I want uh, Britain to strike out on our own in the world as an independent country, a country with ethics, uh, with morals, uh, with a culture and a language uh, that is uh, loved and understood in the world, and with the political role uh, commensurate with a big cultural power like us. We are a big cultural power. Our game, football, our music, uh, our, uh, our literature, and so on, are all immensely powerful for a small island uh, with a, a middle-sized population. I want to capitalize on those assets, Jonathan. I want to uh, make a new Britain, uh, a new Jerusalem in this green and pleasant land. Thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Ian in Hounslow in London. Go ahead, Ian. Hello, George. Hi. I was prompted by Sarka's very um, profound call from Glasgow yeah. about the liberal elite yeah. uh, masquerading as the left. Uh, and it made my blood boil, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I want to make uh, something similar. The Plymouth shooting, five dead. An LBC presenter wanted to blame this on an incel, misogyny, Western white male right wing terrorism culture. When in fact, I put it to her, how can it be easier to get access to firearms than to emergency mental health care, what her, his mother had been begging for for weeks? Yeah. And uh, she shouted at me and slammed the phone down because her narrative was white men are, are, are a threat to, threat to all of us. Now, 40% of metropolitan police time is tied up with mental health emergencies because the fact is destruction of the mental health service in the 80s and the failure of the care and the community program. That's what we should be asking for. And she didn't want to know. She did not want to know. Now, to exploit a tragedy like this for your own political narratives is quite frankly depraved. That's my, my opinion. Well, you've uh, made it uh, very clear and very powerfully. Uh, and that's another issue, story, that has uh, gone remarkably quiet. And I'm not sure why, or perhaps I am sure why. Uh, the killer's mother was begging uh, for uh, help for her increasingly unhinged son. She begged the authorities to take his gun off him, although the authorities gave him back his gun license. And these innocent people now live, uh, 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 now lie in the earth and would otherwise have still been with us if that gun had been taken off a man that was going mad. 
whose own family were desperately seeking mental health treatment for him, and yet they gave him a pump action shotgun license. Please. Mark is in North Carolina. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, how's it going, George? Good. Uh, nice to hear from uh, you. Yeah, good. Yeah, good to hear you again, too. Uh, listen, I, I was just listening to what you're saying about, um, you know, Vietnam before and Kamala Harris. Uh, just, George, we're in such trouble here in this country. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've got this demented pool of a, of a what I call an imposter, because I don't really think he's president, that uh, sits in the White House, okay? And this is his backup, all right? Who's probably going to, somewhere along the line, is probably going to become so-called president. And um, this idiot thinks that um, John McCain is being celebrated. <laughs> in Vietnam. With a monument. That's like, that's, a monument to him. With a monument, exactly. Exactly. That's like... <laughs> If the British, if she went to England and saw a monument there and thought it was a monument to Herman Goering, the head of the uh, Luftwaffe in World War Two, <laughs> I mean, I it mean, is. Uh, you got to laugh. You got to laugh or cry, Mark. I'm not sure which. Folks, <laughs> but I tell you this, George. I am glad about one thing. This empire, I believe, is coming to a close. I consider basically all empires evil. It's the evil empire. And hopefully we're going to bring back our constitutional republic and we're going to become a better country uh, for it. Okay? Just like I believe Russia has become a better country after getting rid of their empire. All right? They had to go through some rough times, especially in the 1990s, but they're back in the saddle now. They're, they're, you know, they're a great nation, and they're not doing some of the stupid stuff that we're doing and they're interested in empire. And I just hope... That's going to be the case of the United States. And I hope for your country, too. I hope that very much, both for my country and for yours, Mark. Great call from North Carolina. Robert is in London. Go ahead, Robert. Yes, Gigi. Go ahead, sir. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking my, I mean, taking my call. What happened is, uh, what I want to talk about is, you know, the the, the children, the children which is not... um, uh, I mean, reach the poverty, yeah. And uh, they're talking about, um, they're talking about, I mean, gender, reassigning I mean, their uh, gender path, yeah. Yeah, but this, this is, this is, this is, this is unheard of. This, this, why is this, this laws are coming to this country? First, first they put Obama from our president, President Obama to Africa to 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 bring, how do you call it? This lesbianism and the gayism in African African society, the whole the whole Africa now gays everywhere. That if we don't allow these things to happen in your country, yeah, we will not give you aid. We will not give you this. We will not give you that. So now it's a problem in our our societies now. Now they're bringing it all over all over here now that a child that they have not reached age of decision that he he can choose his own gender. I mean. Even in well, the uh, you, you, you think you've got a bad in London. Uh, try living in Scotland, where the new regulations are that at the age of four, a child may ask the teacher secretly, without the knowledge of the parents, 
to treat them as a boy rather than a girl or a girl rather than a boy. Let them change their name. Let them change their pronoun. Let them change which toilet they go into, which changing room they use. Just until four o'clock, mind. And then they go back to their unsuspecting parents in their own home, only to go through it all again the next day from the age of four. This society that we live in is seriously, seriously off the right path, off the correct path. Believe me, we are headed for serious trouble in our country. Let's hear from William in Carnoustie, quite near my old stamping grounds. William, welcome. Hey, George, how you doing? Good, nice to hear from you. What would you like to say? Okay, well, look, it's actually just an observation that I've got, you know. I used to live in Scotland, I'm based in Germany, and I come back here fairly frequently, you know. And um, I used to live in the central belt between Glasgow and Edinburgh. And I'm telling you, every time I come back, it gets worse and worse. There's people queuing outside food banks and um, really, you know, I, I, I get this. like Well, the drug death case. capital of the world, well, the COVID capital of Britain, which is the COVID capital of Europe. I could go on, William. Well, look, to be honest, you know, I'm from there and I've got a lot of good friends that live there as well. And because they're like living in the matrix 24-7, you know, they don't see it. But when I come back, I'm just like that. Holy shit, this place is really going to the dogs, you know. And uh, to what do you attribute this, William? Well, <laughs> where, where do we start? It's like the, the, these people in the square mile of London, you know. Anybody outside London, they're, they're not interested. It's like Scotland's, what, what do we call it? An annex state, you know, just like um, wage slaves. You're having guys a laugh. You're blaming the city of London for Scotland having the worst drugs deaths in the world when it is entirely devolved to a Scottish government that has been controlled for 14 years by the SNP. You want to blame the city of London for that? Oh, well, it will, look, what I'll say is, you know, the Scottish government's just a farce. It's a paper government. They've got, it's like, okay, we'll let you park for free in the hospitals, you know. We're so, we're, we're, we're looking after you. These guys are controlled by Parliament in London. Come on, we both know that. They're not controlled by Parliament in London. I wish they were. Things were better when they were. There's no getting away from this, William. The SNP have been in government for 14 years, during which time our schools went to rack and ruin, our health service became one of the worst in Western Europe and one of the worst performing COVID authorities in uh, Europe. We've gone from, uh, from uh, nowhere to becoming the drugs death capital, not of Europe, but of the world. There's the, we can't build ferries. We can't uh, organize exams for our kids. We've handed out a hundred million pounds uh, to Rangers directors for falsely prosecuting them. 
The country is falling to pieces, and it's all attributable to the paper government, as you call it, in Edinburgh. Let's go to Sean in Stevenage. Go ahead, Sean. Hey up, George. How you doing? Good. My blood's <laughs> boiling, but never oh, mind. Let's, let's see if I can blow your hat off the top of your head then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm responding really to Mike from uh, the US when he was talking about, I know it's the dogs and cats again, but um, these dogs and cats, they're not pets. They're rescue animals. It's a charity set up by... A rescue cat? Marine. I've never heard of that one, Sean. Re rescue cats and dogs. They're rescued. They don't do rescue, oh, but they're pardon. rescued. I beg your pardon. Sorry. Yeah, he's, he's set up the charity. Uh, they're to be companion animals for uh, ex-military that are suffering from PTSD. But have we not uh, got enough stray cats in our own country? <laughs> we probably have, but he happened to be serving in Afghanistan. He set the charity up, charity up. He decided he wanted to try and help the animals. He decided he, do, he wanted to try and help his former colleagues. Um, there's a few misconceptions about the flight as well. They were in the hold. The flight called in at another European country where some animals were transferred to the cabin where there's a vet on board and the vet is in a report saying they checked a few of them over while they were in the cabin. But the point being, I think the MOD has got the ump here because he's shown them up to be a man of loyalty and integrity to his, his charges, those under his care, which are the weakest in any society are the animals. They don't have to be there. <clears throat> he tried to get his staff out. They kept changing the bureaucracy, so he couldn't get them out, the staff and the families. Now, you may argue perhaps they could have put them, other people on that flight with the animals in the hold. Okay, but who knows what went on at the airport. They probably told him just to get off the ground. The point being... He cares about his former comrades. The MOD didn't give a flying fig for a lot of soldiers who came back with PTSD and as amputees. And don't forget, a few years back, they had to be shamed, shamed into setting up a rehabilitation place in Birmingham to deal with amputees. And they still don't care about the soldiers that have been out there over the 20 years. So for Tugendhat and Wallace to be furious about this Marine who's got one over them, I ain't got no sympathy for him. He's very, made him look very like idiots. powerful call, Sean. Call of the night. Absolutely Bless powerful. You, George. Let's go to David in London. Something's going on here. What is it? Go ahead. Hello? Go ahead, David. Hi, can you hear me, George? I can hear you clearly, yes. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm a first-time caller. Okay. So please, I'm just a bit confused why people seem to be so happy about the end of the so-called American empire compared to what the possibilities are that what could follow it, if okay. you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I don't want it to be followed by any empire, David. I don't believe in empire. I want it to be followed by equilibrium in the world. Okay, which, requir being... which requires a sharing of power, which requires many points uh, to keep the world stable and uh, balanced. I mean, just because we're celebrating, as I, I can assure you am, uh, the ending of the American empire, does not so that I can get a different empire in power. I don't want any empire in power. You know, and I, I respect your point of view. It's just they have done some good points, 
Tell me, tell me tell, give me your best two points that the American empire have given us. Um, stability during the Cuban Missile Crisis, we averted the like, thermonuclear war. But there wouldn't have been a Cuban Missile Crisis if it hadn't been for American invasion of Cuba. Okay. At the Bay of Pigs. Anyway, give, yes. me your, give me your second best one. Um, I, can't, I can't come up with Don't anything. Worry, I, I Don't worry, David. You're a first-time caller. No, come back me. again. Come back again with another call because for some mysterious reason, my good wife is advancing upon me with something in her hands. I know not what's happening. Well, it was kind of a surprise for us as well, but I'd like to present to you a gift from one of your modes listeners, a very special gift. Oh, wow. Uh, which is... Um, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, indeed. And an uh, official... Oh, that is also a very, signed very beautiful <laughs> picture of Bob. Picture of Bob with its uh, certificate of authenticity. Wow. How wonderful is this? Yes. And is this what, for my birthday? This, no. My this Christmas. was uh, a present from a most listener for Christmas, but due to a logistical error... It's only just it's arrived. It's only just arrived. So uh, our apologies for not um, uh, acknowledging this It's before. from Santa, but in Edinburgh. Yes, yes. I'll not read out your telephone number, Santa, <laughs> because all the children will be... <laughs> Right on to you. It's all very, very nice, yes. I uh, yes. must say. Very so that's the painting, which is an oil painting. Very, very nice. These are all the themes of yeah. Bob Dylan's uh, work, the greatest writer since Shakespeare. And I must say, yeah. this is a stunning Beautiful. Uh, photograph of Bob. Really, really stunning. 80 years forever Young, it's signed. Uh, is it signed by Bob? Yes. My goodness. And a certificate of that authenticity. That is Santa. That is the nicest present I got last Christmas. And uh, I'm really glad it caught up uh, with us. Look, we're running uh, rapidly out of time. Thank you very kindly, whoever you are in Edinburgh. Uh, it's been... Uh, marvellous for me, I hope it was for you. And if it was, then come back next week at the same time. This show was dedicated to the late and great Brian Travers. But for copyright reasons, I'd now be playing you out with one of his masterpieces. All I can do is ask you in the what remains of the evening to just play some UB40 and listen to that saxophone man. May God bless you, Brian. I hope I'll see you one day again. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.